listening. Not everyone does, so I appreciate that. Um, I do want to say I was reminded by a sound I just heard. You know, we don't usually talk about uh, phones and stuff, but I do know that there's obviously amber alerts going off today. So if you have a phone, um, you may want to think about that because even if you have it on vibrate, if it has an amber alert, we all get to know, which is great. So, uh, and while I'm on that, it's also a good reminder, several of you I know received an email from me this week that wasn't actually from me. And it was asking for, I believe, gift cards. So I, I, I want you to know, um, more than likely, I am not going to ask you for a gift card over email, even for a wonderful cause. And so, uh, and I always like to read them because actually the emails always seem very pastoral and loving, more than I usually am in my email. So if it seems too much like a classical pastor, it's probably not from me. So please check in with us before you um, make any purchases or do anything like that. If it looks like you're getting something from me, um, just to kind of warn you so that we're not, you're not spending money for some, for somebody else. So um, I do also want to um, encourage you to think about next Saturday uh, coming to hear Ray Jones, who is a director of theology, evangelism, and formation uh, with our denomination. He's really a pretty dynamic speaker. I know it is hard on a Saturday to give up time from nine to three, but I want to encourage you to do it anyways. This is going to be a remarkable kind of time for us just to ask, what does it mean for us to live out the gospel in our daily lives? Something that we talk about a lot, but I think this will be a Great space for that. Ray has some connection with ZPC when they did a, a church when we did a church planting conference many years ago. Now he came to that. He's been here, I think, actually a couple of times, and uh, is just really passionate about Jesus. And so I encourage you to think about signing up for that. And we'd love to have you here as a part of that. It's going to be a great lunch. And so if all you want is a meal, that's fine too. You don't have to tell anybody. Just come and eat and be be here uh, with us next Saturday. We would love to have you. So as we're thinking about, uh, as I was thinking about the, the, the passage for this particular week, um, I thought, well, you know, we talked a little bit about Great Banquet last week and uh, the, 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 the verbiage Great Banquet that didn't just kind of come up out of nowhere. It came from a scripture, a scripture in Luke. And I thought, well, I've never actually preached on this passage before, not anywhere as far as I could uh, try to find, because I tried to find an old one so I could just duplicate it. And... Um, but I couldn't, unfortunately. And so, um, so we're going to look then this morning at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, which includes uh, the parable of the great banquet. Before I read, sorry, I kind of put that up there. That was on me. Uh, just to let you know, Jesus is, is surrounded by uh, Pharisees and some others, and they're, uh, they're at the table, they're eating together, and Jesus has been kind of watching uh, how the Pharisees especially are treating uh, those around them. Uh, and that's when we kind of dive into this particular story. So here we go. Sorry. Luke writes this, one of the dinner guests on hearing this said to Jesus, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to them, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. 
So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, after a stormy night, we gather this morning in peace and calm. The summer is waning and we know that before long, autumn will be upon us. And so we take some space now to remember your grace and to remember your call in our lives. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So there's Jesus. And he's, uh, he's having a meal, he's watching. This is what Jesus would oftentimes do. He would watch those around him. And not surprisingly, as he watched these devoted followers of God, there was something there that was making him uncomfortable, something in their behavior that he didn't really like. And so he decided to tell a story. As we said last week, a lot of times when it comes to stories or images that Jesus gives, there are parts of it that make sense to us, but also parts of it that perhaps get lost in translation because we live in such a very different time. So let me just kind of quickly retell the story in a way that maybe perhaps opens up a little bit more of what what Jesus was trying to do. To say. So, so in that day and age, what you would do if you had a big party is that you would send out the first invitation. And the first invitation uh, was there just to see, it's kind of like an RSVP, how many people are we going to have? Now we get that, I suppose. But there, it was really important to know that because you had to know how many animals am I going to kill and of what sort? That's not usually something that we have to do, but that's what they would have had to do, right? If you have one to two, then hey, you can just have a chicken. If you got four or five, then well, you might need a duck, you know? And if you're gonna have even more than that, then you need to have a goat. Even more than that, you're gonna have a sheep. And if you have 35 or over, you know you have to kill a a cow, right? But you guys knew that already, right? Because that's what you do for your parties, right? And so they had to kill then a big animal. So you had to know that. Now that's important to know, but here's what you also got to remember, which is that you kill those animals. And then of course it all had to be eaten because if you didn't eat it that night, then it was, it would spoil. They had no freezers. You couldn't just put it in the freezer and then nuke it up the next day. There was nothing like that, right? It was just wasted. And so they got that first run through. Okay, great. We know we have this many people. And so that's exactly, of course, what they did. They sent out the first invitations. And then the second invitation was really just there to say, (laughs) usually usually they last at least five minutes. I've already lost someone at three. That's fine. That happens. That happens. Busy night. So they sent out the second one just to make sure or just to tell them, hey, it is ready. 
The dinner is ready. Come on, the party is ready to begin. And so then they would come. And of course, you would know that you would come because if you said you were going to come, you have to actually Come, you've got to go to the dinner, right? Now here in our neck of the woods, it is something of a party foul for you to say you're going to go to a party and then not go. But again, as we already said, for the whole fact of wasting food, it's even more critical. But in Jesus's culture, an honor and shame culture, as you probably know, there it would have been a major shaming event if you had said you were going to go and you didn't go. I mean, shame, especially in these small, tight-knit communities that you would be, you, you know, you would be, your name would be besmirched really for the rest even of your life perhaps and maybe even another generation if you failed to come when you were supposed to come when you said you were going to and so that's what we see going on here guest after guest after guest said that they could not come anymore to the banquet and the excuses that they were giving, well, theologians have said, this is to use a theological term, that, that the excuses were pretty lame. And they were. What's the first person says? The first person says, oh, you know what? Just bought some land. And now I need to go see what it is that I just bought. Right? Scholars said, no, no, the odds of that are very slim. Again, in a small, tight-knit community, you not only knew, like, the land, you knew who owned the land, you knew everything about the hills of the land, you knew what it could grow, you knew all of those things well before you ever bought it. Not only that, Ken Bailey says that these kinds of transactions, they would take a long amount of time, sometimes years, and so there's very little chance that all of a sudden this just kind of sprung up. And then you have the next guy, right? And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just bought some oxen, and so I got to go check them out. And you know that that's not the case, right? I mean, this is well before uh, Ox Max, which was the precursor to CarMax. You probably know when you could go online, check out all the features. Well, they're pretty good, but the team kind of steers to the left a little bit. Those kinds of things, right? No, you would never would have bought it sight unseen. You would have gone to see the ox and just check it out and say, is this legit or not? Well, before you actually paid for it. And then you have the wedding, the person who says, oops, I'm sorry, I got married. Again, there were very few in this culture surprise weddings. And even, even then, if the, if, if the host of the great banquet knew that there was going to be another wedding, it's been pointed out that in a small community, you would never have a big party then because a small community could not do both things at once. It's kind of like when you try to throw a party at the same time that the Indianapolis Colts are playing your party is going to fail. It's just what happened. So this would not have happened. And so they're sitting there and, and all of these horrible, lame excuses and the host says, well, then we're going to open this thing up. And so he begins to invite other people, people who would not normally be invited to a party this grand, the blind, the lame, the poor. And so they began to come in, but even then, you know what? Some of them didn't come in. And so, so we're told that the owner said, well, compel them to come. And that doesn't always sound like an invitation. Usually we don't put compel and invitation in the same sentence, but here's what you have to remember that in the social hierarchy of the time, if you were blind or poor or lame in some way, you would not have been invited and it would have been very hard for you to have believed that you were really included into this party. 
party. In fact, one person says that typically in a situation like this, the person who is inviting you, if you're if there's a lower social hierarchy, you would have to invite you for 15 solid minutes. You would have to keep saying, come. No, really, we want you to come. No, seriously, this is true. No, you really have been invited to this party for 15 solid minutes before finally that person might consider actually going. But finally, they were compelled. They came in. And then you can just imagine, at least I do, Jesus kind of looking around at the Pharisees who were there and saying, none of those who were first invited and then refused to come would taste of the dinner. So the question then is, if Jesus is trying to speak into the lives of those who had gathered, what was he trying to say to them? And thereby, what is he trying to say to us? Well, one of the first things, clearly, and anyone who has gone through the great banquet could actually tell you this, one of the first things that we see is that it's a beautiful image of the grace of God and how that grace precedes anything that we could ever do. God invites all of those who were there. He invites the Pharisee likes, those who like God, but he invites the, the poor, the broken, those who think that they should not be invited. God invites all of them before we could do anything. Whenever I have an infant baptism, I meet with the family before that, um, not just a few minutes before, but a week or two or three beforehand, because I like to dispel kind of any magic about baptism. And one of the things I always do is I share with them this thing from our book of order about infant baptism. Here's what it says. The baptism of our young children witnesses to the truth that God claims people in love even before they are able to respond in faith. That's one of the things I love about infant baptism. We'll have another one in two weeks. And so let me encourage you, if you are at that service, when you see that infant being baptized, that you will be reminded of the sign that well before we could reach up or even understood God, God was already reaching out to us. But not only that, but one of the cruelest things about this image is that so many of us, just like the broken, just like the poor, just like the blind, so many of us don't actually believe that God really loves us that much, that we have to be compelled into believing that. Sometimes I have seen people who have to hear this truth a hundred times, if not more, until they finally begin to believe that yes, it even includes someone as broken and messed up and as inadequate as you you may think you are, that God is still looking at you and saying, I love you. That's just beautiful image. One of the greatest things about I love of being pastor, I've told you this before, is when we take communion and I get to look in the face of people when they come forward for intention communion and I get to say either this is Christ's body broken for you or Christ's blood shed for you. And I love looking into their eyes because it is oftentimes the eyes of somebody with whom I have already had a conversation and I know that they are questioning whether or not they are loved by God. And so this is this beautiful image that even if it takes compelling, that sometimes we have to keep reminding ourselves and others need to remind us that they are loved by God. So the great banquet story is a story of grace, limitless grace. 
and we could end the message right there. And everybody would be delighted. For one, we would just be able to be reminded of the grace of God, which we all need to be reminded. And for two, of course, you guys would get out of here like 15 or 20 minutes early. But you know we can't have that. And it's also not right to end it right there because there is another message, it seems to me, that Jesus is trying to tell those who are gathered on that particular day. See, when Jesus looks out over those Pharisees, he realizes that something is not quite right. He realizes that they need to be woken up, that their faith is slumbering, that they are a people who like to say yes to the first invitation, but then who clearly are not quite all in when it comes to the kingdom of God. There there are people who are committed for about the span of a commercial break. They're devoted, but not for the duration. They are saints, but only for a season. Their following looks a bit more like a fling. It's not completely there. They, They like the notion in some sense, but then whenever it comes to asking, well, are you really all into discipleship and about being about the kingdom of God? Well, there are other things that may be more important. As I said, most commentators think that the excuses that the people in the story gave were kind of lame, and they're probably right. There are other commentators who think, well, you know, these weren't horrible excuses. These were things dealing with finances. You gotta have money. These are things dealing with family. Family's important, but I love what uh, Fred Craddock says, which is that here's the thing about God's calling. Not only is it supposed to take priority over our worst agenda, but it's also supposed to take priority over our best agenda. What that means, in other words, is that when you decide to really follow Jesus, one of the things that happens, of course, is that everything is up for grabs. And as someone has said, what they are choosing here these invitees, is they're choosing their finances at this juncture over God. They are choosing the priority of how they understand their family over God. And so the great banquet story then is really a story that makes us ask about our own finances. It makes us ask about our priority of time. It makes us ask the question about our own family and how exactly we run that family and does it make a difference that we wanna be a part of the kingdom of God. And when I started thinking about that, I got super nervous. Because if you were to ask a preacher, preacher, give me the top five topics of things that people get annoyed when you talk about. Guess what two of those five things would be? Finances or money, right? And when you talk to them about the priorities of how they're spending their time and how they're spending their time with their family, these are two things that folks get very upset about. In fact, there are times it seems like to me when most folks would say, hey, you know what, preacher, here's what we want from you. Give us a good funeral, give us a good wedding, give us a good happy-go-lucky sermon, and then be quiet. 
And as soon as you begin at times to kind of delve in, there are people who say, no, 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 stay in your own lane, preacher. We, we don't need that, all right? I don't come telling you what to do with your money. You don't come telling me what to do. And I started getting a little bit nervous. My fingers got a little bit sweaty as I was typing. I started thinking, oh man, I don't want to do that. This week, last week was, everybody was like, yeah. And then this week you bring up money or something like that. And it's going to be like, oh. But then I started thinking something, which is that I remember this, which is that if you all are here this morning, it means that your faith is really important to you. Right? Uh, I mean, you could be doing anything on a Sunday morning. This is not like it was four decades ago or three decades ago where you had to go to church, right? I mean, uh, maybe I've said, you know, there was a pastor who, uh, who, who has told me, an older pastor, who said, oh yeah, there used to be this time when, when if you showed up at work on Monday, your boss would say, where were you yesterday at worship? That time is no more. Well, there's, there's one way, I guess there is a, a person here who employs half of, our, of ZPC. But other than that, um, uh, most folks, that is not the case, right? So you don't have to be here. You know what you could be doing right now? You guys, you know it. It's all of a sudden it came to your mind. You could be sleeping. This is a great day to sleep in. You could be at Starbucks. You could be practicing your golf game. Things are going to dry out soon. Uh, you could be at your lake house. You could be doing a lot of things. And, and, and you're thinking, some of you are thinking that would have been a good idea, but you're not. You decided to come in here, which means that your faith is important to you. Good, good, good. And so if your faith is important to you, it means that you want to know, well, how does this change how I spend my money? How does this change how I spend my time? How does this change how I raise my children, right? You want to know those things if your faith is really important. And so actually you would be more offended if I never brought up things like how you spend your money and spend your time than if I, you'd be more offended if I never brought that up than if I did, right? Yeah, see how quickly you can just begin to say yes, even if you want to say no. And so then I started thinking, well, here's the thing. Maybe they want to hear about that. But maybe what they don't want to hear, just like our invitees to the party, maybe what they don't want to hear is they don't want to hear how there are going to be sacrifices if you really want to be a part of what God is doing in God's kingdom. If you really want to be about this thing about discipleship, there, is going to, there are going to be things that you have to be willing to sacrifice. And I thought, well, maybe they don't wanna hear that. And then I said, no, Jerry, they totally wanna hear about this because they're really smart. It's called buttering up. They're really smart. And what smart people know is this, if it's really important to you, it almost always requires sacrifice, doesn't it? It's quite funny, actually. Sometimes uh, I see our staff and we talk about this. Sometimes when we're trying to get you to do something, we say, hey, you know what? It's not a big deal. It won't take that much time. You just kind of show up and you just have to be there for 30 minutes. And I know what happens is what that tells you is then this must not be very important, 
right? But what you all know is if it is important, it almost always requires some sort of sacrifice, not just because we love to sacrifice, but so that we can live in a richer and deeper way. Think about, uh, let's think about finances. What do people say about finances? Uh, This is what I hear people say about finances, which is that if you want to have a retirement, If you want to have money at your retirement, then more than likely, unless you're just making bukus of money, but even then probably, you're going to have to make some sacrifices now. Maybe you don't go on a two-week vacation. Maybe you only go on a one-week vacation. Maybe you don't eat out six days a week. Maybe you only eat out two. And why do you do that? You make those sacrifices so that one day... You can still have food. One day you can still have a home. One day you can still take a vacation. Now you don't look back over here and you don't celebrate. Oh, I'm so glad we only went on one week vacation instead of two. Or man, I'm so glad that I have to cook at the house today rather than going out. No, no, no. But you make the sacrifice today so that your future looks different. Or think about love. Think about love. What about the sacrifice of love? Remember 1 Corinthians 13? What does it say? Love is patient. That's a word of sacrifice. It does not boast. It does not seek after its own. All of those things are sacrifice words. And why do we do that? So that one day we can continue, or so that we can continue to grow in our love for one another, whether it's a friend, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a brother or a sister in Christ, whether it's a parent or a child, you make those sacrifices so that you can love in richer and deeper ways. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. A lot of times when we talk about our faith and we talk about what it costs us, which Jesus talks about right after the story of the great banquet, pick up your cross, count the cost. We forget that the reason why we do that is not because God loves making a sacrifice, but is so that we can experience the joy of the feast of participating in God's kingdom. Here's what one commentator said about this particular passage. He says this, It's going to be good. There we go. God gives the kingdom, but the accepting of God's gift means the rejection of many other things. The kingdom of God offers the greatest gifts, but it demands exclusive loyalty and wholehearted devotion. The great feast is a feast and not a distribution of free rations. Those who wish to enjoy it must come in. They can't have portions sent out for them to enjoy while they busy themselves with other things. This is about a willingness to sacrifice. Here's the rest of the conversation that I usually have with people who I baptize their child. This is the part that makes me a little bit awkward at times and sometimes makes them feel awkward, which is this. Here's the thing I say to them. If you really want your child, who we're going to baptize, to grow up in Christ, they're going to need to learn about Christ and they're going to need you to make some sacrifices for Christ. A part of those is, is for you to come in here on Sunday mornings and worship. 
Sometimes we see people who are baptized, kids are baptized, and then guess what? We never see them again. Now, if they come back in, we love them, we care for them. If this is the first time you've been in since 12 years ago when you had your child baptized, we love you. We're glad that you're here. But if you really want the child to grow up, they need to see you making sacrifices because that's how they know it's important. Because when you're at work all the time and they can tell that you're making that massive sacrifice, guess what they know is important? Work. That that's what's important, right? This is just reality. So part of what we have to understand is that in our own faith walk, our sacrifice is critical for participating in the kingdom. So the great banquet, let's just close up with this. Great banquet. I said this last week to you all, that, on, uh, that, that the people who, who work the great banquet, if you will, who are on the team, they give up seven or eight Thursdays for about three hours or more. And then they're here all weekend for the great banquet weekend. And if you were to ask them, why do you do this? I feel quite confident that none of them will say because I had nothing to do on Thursday nights, nor will they say because I love sleeping next to someone who snores all night long. Is that fair? But do you know why they will say they do it? Because they have seen people's lives that have been changed for all time. They have seen relationships that have been reconciled. They have seen people whose priorities were all out of whack all of a sudden be shifted. They have seen people who have been introduced to Jesus for the first time. They have experienced all of that. And when you see someone right before your eyes begin to change forever, then you are willing to make that sacrifice because you can tell the joy of the feast or this week I had a conversation with Pete Hudson many of you know Pete Hudson Pete was instrumental in the planting of this church he was a charter member just a dynamic guy and he's got a great memory for all things ZPC for the history of ZPC I've told you some of his stories this week as I was meeting with him uh, he told me the story about the realtor who sold them this land and it was only four and a half acres at this point we now have more but at that point it was four and a half acres and the realtor thought they were crazy to buy this land because they were asking a preposterous price of $90,000, which in the 80s was probably a lot. I have a sneaking suspicion probably would cost more today. And I thought, why would you want to do that? Not only that, but she said, and look at this land. It's not that great. I mean, to build anything here, you're going to have to take lots of work and so Pete was telling me, so he's like, he's like, so we, you know, got a group of folks and we, you know, we footed the bill. And then we, we came here on Saturdays and we, we began to clear the land. Well, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. And so I thought, wow, that's brutal. But here's the thing here. And, 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 and you know, I think he was an insurance guy, right? I mean, it's not like his, he was, you know, this was, you know, what he did, you know, he didn't do lawn care, but why did he give this money? And he and other folks, why did they come on Saturdays when they could have done anything else? Who wants to come here and clear land on a Saturday? I don't know, there's like two or three of you, but the rest of us, the normal folks, we don't want to do that, right? But what did they do? He did all of that. And do you know why he did that? Because he had the faith to believe and he's been able to see it. The thousands, and I mean literally thousands of people who have come through here and whose lives were changed for the kingdom. And here's the thing, man, I love Pete. I wish I had a picture of him. Here's the thing. When Pete begins to describe the things that they did, you should see his eyes. They are 
dancing because they know that he's been able to participate in this incredible feast. I mean, for him to be able to know how people's lives have been changed here and across the globe, there is this incredible amount of joy in this 80-something-year-old man. He's not coming today, probably, to clear land. He can't do that any longer. But what he knows is that he had an eternal impact because of his willingness to sacrifice. Someone has said that this parable is about limitless grace and limitless demand. My hope is that each and every one of you this morning know about the grace of Jesus Christ and how limitless it is. But I also hope and pray that you will understand in the days ahead, because we talk about this, when we talk about sacrificial giving, when we talk about how you're spending your time, when we talk about home groups, when we talk about great banquet, when we, when we talk about loving your literal neighbor, that when we talk about all of those things, that you won't just think, oh, here comes the guilt trip again, but that you will begin to see that the reason why we're talking about that is because we know that when you are willing to make those sacrifices, when you are willing to say yes, and then you actually show up, that then you get to participate and people's lives being changed for the kingdom of God. And what I want for you all is when you reach your 80s or for some of you who are already there, your 90s or into your triple digits, you can look back and you can know that you participated in people's lives being changed forever. It is the parable of limitless grace and limitless demand. And it is the journey to which Christ invites all of us to come, to eat, to drink, and to receive the joy of God's kingdom. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God, it is easy to get so caught up in our everyday lives, in what we are doing on the restraints, the demands that we forget, that we forget the joy of following you and how so often that joy is preceded by sacrifice. I pray that you would help us, God, to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you love us and that you love us so much that you call us to go out, to go forward, to sacrifice for you. That we and others might be shaped more like you. That we might build for your coming kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.